I wonder if you would uh, take a moment and just uh, bow with me in prayer. And uh, for those who have become victims of this unbelievable fires throughout our state, I was remiss that we didn't do that a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I'm also remiss that maybe we haven't started our service with that today because there are so many today while we're experiencing such wonderful weather here are fighting for their lives elsewhere in our state of Colorado. Shall we bow and pray together for them? Lord Jesus, we are just human beings. And we often wonder, in the scope of all of our reality, why certain things happen. Why they happen in certain geographical centers of the world. Why they happen even just a few miles from us and not on top of us. And all of that's held together with your sovereignty. And we simply, in a figurative way this morning, we we bow our knees before you. And we pray for those who've lost homes. We pray for the families who have had members in their family who've lost their lives. And we can only imagine that this transition that they're going through is one that's deeply felt and will never be forgotten. But in your enormous love and compassion, would you put your arms of love around them? Would you hold them tenderly? Would you grant them peace today in the midst of chaos at times? And would you let them know, Father, in the only the way you can, that you still have everything in your charge. Pray for those who are fighting the fires. Give them great strength and courage. Give them resources, maybe, that we don't even know about at this point. Protect them. Make us mindful as we walk through this day of your grace, your sufficiency. We commit their care to you now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're studying in the Bible and we're talking about the great transitions of the Bible. Because God can do through things through transitions that He can't do sometimes through static situations. Some of you may be in a transition. You've, uh, your kids have moved out. You're empty nesters. I can tell who you are today. There's a smile this big in your, on your face. But remind yourself of this. They'll be back. And usually they come back married and with grandkids. And that also will put a smile on your face. Some of you are between jobs. Some of you left a job without having a job. And that made this transition all the more tense. Tense. Some of you are going to a job that you had previously before you left your other one, but you're concerned and you're wondering, will the atmosphere and climate still be the same? Maybe some of you have gone through an unfortunate transition where you've lost a spouse or you've decided to separate from each other. And maybe you're coming now into a new relationship with a new spouse. And that has its challenges too as well. Or even like Dillon Community Church, who has 
lost its pastor just a few weeks ago and is now searching for a new one. There's a lot of uncertainty. There could be feelings of lostness and frustration. There could even be loss of hope. We can feel leaderless at times. What's going to happen? Who's going to mind the store? What's this new job going to be like? Do I really know this boss well? There could be things about the situation you're moving towards that still are unresolved, but you kind of took it on a wing and a prayer and you said, I'll get into it and hopefully it'll be okay. But we're also open to temptations at this time. We're open sometimes to criticism of, of when, there's, when, when there's transitions. Even in a new church, there can be criticism of the present administration. There can be a stepping back of a congregation and say, well, we'll just take a wait-and-see attitude and see what happens. Maybe sometimes even in a church, people ease off their giving until they're really sure this is where they want to put their money. There could be other things that go along with transition, including just plain fear. Fear of new surroundings. Talking with a young student this week who's moving to Washington, D.C. I was in Washington, D.C. Thursday when the vote came out from the Supreme Court. The city was filled with some tension, I can tell you that. But I was talking with a young university student, and this university student was leaving her hometown in Suitland, Maryland, and was on her way to California, to Stanford University. And all the East Coast people around her were warning about her, about California. And you could see that as she was talking with them, and I was even there observing the talk, you could see a few worried little wrinkles come into her brow. What was this really going to be like? Will I make new friends? Will it be an easy situation? All of these things in transition cause one to understand that there is a difference between when God brings about a transition and when we bring about one. I'll tell you what. I'm so many years old now, you don't even want to know. But I can tell you this, just a little from my background, and that it's a lot better when God brings about the transition than when we try to manipulate it and make it happen. Maybe a pastor leaves too soon. A pastor stays too long. A pastor is asked to leave by the board. And we ask ourselves, were these man-made decisions? Or were these God-made decisions? As we go through the transitions of Abraham to Isaac, from Joseph to Moses and Joshua to Paul to Timothy, we're going to take one today which I think is the greatest transition ever written in the Bible. It's the transition of Noah, where God absolutely pushes the restart button. You talk about refreshing a computer screen, this story will blow your hair back. Now, for some of you, that'll be very easy, but this story has that potential. Going through transition, Richard F. Tax, who was the president of the American Engineer Association, said, regarding transition, remember your replacement is not your enemy or your friend. Rather, 
This training relationship is truly a competition for your job. And then he says, only one winner, let it be you. At first blush, those words seem rather harsh. But I think if you dig a little bit, you begin to understand what Richard's trying to say. He's trying to say, in all honesty, that while you're in a transition, don't be the person that has the bad attitude. Don't be the person who's always down and looking for the negative. Be the person who's looking for where he can see or she can see God working in the transition. For us, it's in a transition, it's more than the completion of a job. For us who call ourselves Christ believers, it is the continued fulfillment of kingdom work. Paul said in first, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 through 13 and 14, he said, I would have you know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't go to that paradigm right away. I want the greatest, I want my circumstances oftentimes to turn out for the greater progress of my career, to turn out for the greater progress of my marriage, turn out for the greater progress of me being a better father, a better grandfather. But Paul says, no, when God brings about transitions, those circumstances have one intention in mind to bring about a greater progress of the gospel. Well, Noah had taken over for Lamech, who, died, who lived 777 years. And then Lamech died. In fact, Noah was 500 years old before his first son was born. They lived a long time. I'm sure Noah had time to think about, do I want kids? <laughs> there was a lot of rebellion in that day. A lot of rebellion against God. People were living just in a godless world, and God saw what was happening. In chapter 6 of Genesis, in verse 5, it says, How great man's wickedness on the earth had become. We're not talking just minor infractions. This was a godless society. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Can you imagine living in a world where people's thoughts all the time were evil? Then in verse 6 it says, The Lord was grieved that He had made man on the earth. And His heart was filled with pain. Let me just speak real frankly. Parents, have you ever gotten to the point? Have you ever even come close to the point? Were you sorry that maybe one of your children came into the world? How devastating that must be to even think that. How devastating that must be. I, I watched the interview of jo Jeffrey Dahmer, the cannibal killer of children, as his parents, his mother, was interviewed. One of the statements she made, it would have been better if Jeffrey had never been born. And most of us have never come close to even saying anything like that. But God did. God said He was sorry that he had made man on the earth. That must have taken something for God to come to that point. He said his heart was filled with pain. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will wipe out mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth. 
men, animals, creatures that move, along the ground, the birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But then here comes this phenomenal verse in verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Oh man, what a game changer, huh? Can you just imagine? He, I, I can't even kind of even come to grips with this in a metaphor of God somehow looking out over the sea of humanity and going, nope, 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 nope. How about if he's pointing? What if you're lined up there and the figure comes towards you? Nope. That, that's not a, that's not a uh, we'll wait and see attitude. That's a nope. <laughs> that means you're going down. But then he points to Noah in this metaphor of mine. And Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. So much favor that God said in this transition, I will protect you. My goodness, isn't that what we all want? And so my first point this morning, if you have your sermon notes, is that one of the things that God or Noah found was in this transition, was His protection. God's protection. In fact, on the back of your sermon notes, it should be there, verse 13, it says, So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. What's all that? Well, it certainly gets the directions. Why? He got the specifics so that everybody could fit in. Sometimes God does build an ark. He still builds arks today for us because they're symbols of protection. I would ask you this morning, what has been your ark through the years that God has provided some salvation for you from time to time? I can't even imagine when God told Noah this, what the next day was like with Mrs. Noah as Noah tries to explain the program. That first cup of coffee had to be unbelievable. And Hebrews 11 says that Noah was warned about things not yet seen. What had Noah ever seen? What he had never seen? He had never seen rain. Up to that time in the world, scientists tell us there had never even been rain. Didn't need to. It was a hot tropical climate. Didn't need rain. And so he's building this ark. Scholars tell us that it took a little over 100 years to build the ark. And being warned about things not yet seen. So I want you to put that together. So here comes the neighbor over and says, Noah, what's up, babe? I'm building an ark. Why? It's going to rain. Really? What's rain? I don't know, but you want to be in the ark. Now, I got to think that somewhere around year 99, Mrs. Noah is getting a touch, just a touch tired of this thing. 
He's out there building this monster thing. The neighbors are in their backyards laughing to death. And then one day, one day something falls and hits a guy in the face. And it's wet. And then it starts coming down a little bit. And Noah says, all right, everybody. In the ark. Animals start coming in two by two. No one his family come. In fact, the scripture indicates that he's kind of inviting people to come. No, this is silly. You know the story as well as I do. Then it says, God shut the door. He could have said, the writer of Genesis could have said, and Noah shut the door. But it doesn't say that. It said, God shut the door. Let me tell you something. When God brings about a transition, he's not, this is not a vote on your part. Should we do this or not? Because his circumstances are going to bring about the greater progress of the gospel. And the door is shut. Eruptions start happening. Scientists tell us that not only did the rain come, there was, there was eruptions from the deep. Most people will tell you, scientists, that when eruptions and volcanic action happen, they blow holes in the ionosphere, which allow certain kinds of things to come into our, into our world. And you'll notice that right after the flood, everything begins to half-life. People were living 900 years. After the flood, they started living 450 years. Then they started living 225 years. Then they started living 112 years. History will check this out. Then it went way down to 60, even lower than that sometimes. Now through some health and medicine, we can say maybe the average lifespan is a little bit higher, but it's not that great, not like it used to be. Everything changed when God brought about this transition. But He protected Noah. And let me tell you something. When God brings about a transition in your life, He will protect you. He said He will. He said the same way that I did it with Noah, I will do it with you. You have His protection. The second thing that God did through this transition, He gave Noah His provision or His presence. When God gives His covenant, it was the same as His presence. In chapter 6, verse 18, that's on your notes, it says, But I will establish My covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Today we have His Spirit and His Word. In Hebrews 11, chapter 1, uh, 11th chapter, the first verse, it talks about in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son and His Word. When God speaks, His Word instructs us. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, he says, But God's Word is profitable for us with doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. If you think about a railroad track and you think about a train on the tracks, doctrine simply talks about there is a train and there are some tracks. Reproof means, hey, your train's off the track. Correction says, this is how you get back on the track. And training in righteousness says, here's how you stay on the track. God's Word is profitable for us. It is His covenant. It is His presence with us. Today I hear so much of people reading 
I'm telling you, if you go into a bookstore today, there is a glut of literature on self-help books, uh, all kinds of transitional material of you know to, to get yourself centered and everything else. People are reading everything but God's Word. And in most bookstores, even secular bookstores, there's one section called religious. What an unfortunate term. I stand before you today and tell you that I don't even believe in religion. Because religion is nothing more than ritual. Religion is nothing more than man's attempts to find God. I believe in Christianity. That was God's attempt to find man. And that's about relationship. God said, His promise I will give you, my provision and my presence I will give you. I will take you through the transition. The only thing I want you to know is let me be the author of the transition. Don't you try to manipulate stuff. But when I bring it about, everybody wins. I, I think that it is so important to take time to read God's Word. I don't know if we have it online right now, but I'll go check our website and make sure there's some kind of a reading plan that you can get on. Or you can go to a link that we'll send you to where you can get on a reading plan. And you can do it on your computer. You can spend five, seven, ten minutes before you start your work day. Read God's Word. Read through the Bible. It is His presence and His, His promise to you. Well, let's wrap this up in terms of possibilities. God gave a third thing to Noah. And that was his possibilities, which was represented by the twig when that bird came back. They were sending out the, the birds because they thought if the bird came back with something, then the waters would be receding. Well, in verse chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. You see, in transitions, when God eliminates whatever it is He has to do, when God refines whatever it is that He wants to do in your life, He restores you and brings new life. And some of you could tell me, you know what? I remember the twig in my life. I saw the sign when it was over. I knew that we were through this transition. Let me tell you something. I don't necessarily think that the twig for Dillon Community Church is going to be the new pastor. That may be part of it. But the twig might be something more individual in your life. The twig in terms of watching the kids walk out the door. Because I understand, mothers and fathers, that some of you didn't do so well when the kids walked out the door. And I'll tell you what, my wife had a smile on her face. I was gloomy for about three months. I love the kids being home. Both my kids were, were jocks. The boy played basketball. The girl played softball and volleyball. They went to two different schools. They had two different sets of friends, but somehow they got along. And on Thursday at our house is where everybody showed up. And I had to go down Wednesday and get a loan for pizza. And they would come over and those kids would hang out at the house and I was in seventh heaven. And I loved it that even these teenagers would let an old guy like me speak into their life. We'd be sitting there having some pizza and a, a Coke and sitting down and watching a little TV and one of the kids would lean over, one of Rachel's friends or Joe's friends, and say, Hey, 
Dr. G, I, I got a little issue at school. Could, could I run this by you? Oh. All these things were going away when they went away. It took me a while to go through that transition. And then God brought a twig. <laughs> and He said, you know what? You don't have to do that just with teenagers. You could do this with men. Men who need to reach over and put an arm around you and say, hey, I got a little issue at work today. Could we just have five minutes of a wisdom talk here? Let me run something by you. I'll tell you, when that twig hit, I was back in the game. How about you? What's the twig for you? The rainbow said he would never wipe out mankind again, and he won't. But he brings his protection, he brings his provision, and he brings his possibilities. All created, all creation is subject, he says, to my jurisdiction. The flood episode took a total, if you add it all up, took one year and one week after the water hit. That's a long time to be in a boat. Especially with a lot of elephants. Well, two. But they're big. And then you add the time of the building to building the ark. You've got a lot of years. It was a long transition. I was struck as I watched Mel Gibson's rendition of The Passion. For those of you who've watched it, you know it's R-rated. And there's some pretty brutal scenes. But the one scene that just makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up is when he's carrying his cross and he's on his way to die on the cross and he's passing through the city and the guards are whipping him and it's tough and he falls and he stumbles. And finally Mary runs to him, his mother. What a tragic thing to watch her son go through this. I can't even, I can't even imagine what this must have been like for her. But Gibson does a pretty good job of bringing this one scene out. And there he falls and he's bloodied and he's beaten and he's down and he looks up into his mother's face and he says, Don't worry, Mom. I'm going to make all things new. That's what Jesus does. That's what Christ followers do. When they're in the midst of transition... They remember the words of Jesus. I'm on to make something new. What is it that God wants to do in your life today? He'll protect you. He'll provide for you. And there will be possibilities you never even thought of. Because He orchestrated the transition. And if He didn't, there's still time to surrender the transition to Him. <laughs> and He will bring about the new. Lord God, we thank you this morning for the privilege of being Christ followers. We thank you that you are at work in our life even when we don't sometimes see it. 
to bring about newness and hope, to bring about a sense of unbelievable potential and possibility that we never dreamed of. You've said that you give to us beyond what we can even think, ask, or even hope for. And today I just say, Lord, would you give us beyond the beyond? Take it out of the realm of our thinking and our doing and our manipulating, Lord. And we surrender that to you. May you be honored and glorified. May transition not be a tough word, but may it be a word that is something that says, Oh, here we go. Something new is coming. And it's going to be better. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.